0: Ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Let's gnaw on some
1: doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Romans 5.9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Romans 4.25 who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The only basis for just, uh, and Dr. Ferguson, That's that was Roman 4.25. Dr. Ferguson goes on and says, the only basis for justification, which the New Testament recognizes, is the work of Christ, which resides in God's love. But love as love, uh, alone cannot justify love is the source of our justification but the death of Christ is the grounds for our justification now why is he bringing bringing that out and talking about the love of God is the uh, uh, is the source but it the death of Christ is the grounds why do you think he brings that out and why is that important
0: let me put yeah, it in yeah. a different way
1: do you think that uh Maybe he's bringing that out because there's a lot of churches that all they talk about is the love of God and never mention the the cross of Christ.
0: Well that would be that so. would be, a good, yeah. that would be a good one. yeah that would be a good one. yeah, that would be a good good response because it's it's sad, but it is true that there are uh, you know he picked the name church, so we're stuck with it yeah but you almost wish we had a different word in our culture yeah, like Christian. Yeah, different Christian word for family. Christian and yeah. different word for
1: church, right? Because both of them have lost
0: their meaning. They've lost their like like meaning said. in this culture. And hopefully, uh, we have, we have great hope that God is working to turn that again, because you, you can only go to such, you can only go so far on the path of mindlessness mm-hmm. before you, before you realize, uh, okay, we're, we're not, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. And I, I do believe that our culture is very, very close to that realization. I'm not saying the church is going to be full tomorrow or next week or next month. I'm saying that I believe our culture is with the phrase that I particularly don't like a tipping point because of all the craziness people are saying, no, this is not right. And we've got it. We've got to come. We've got to come. We've got to come back from that. Yes. And and that's with, with respect to the church. So much of the church is a mirror of the culture. There's no contrast. Mm-hmm. And so the church is irrelevant. It's, it's irrelevant because we don't. And by the way, this is not just a Protestant perspective. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast last week of a, a a person in the Orthodox Church who was talking about how pathetic the church is. And he, he mentioned a Catholic bishop, a very one up, up the road, up, up the ladder, so to speak. And he asked him about the state of the church. And the Catholic bishop used an expletive <laughs> to describe the state of the church. So this is something that is, we're, we're seeing in the Protestant, in the Catholic and in the Orthodox church. God's people know something's wrong. And the church is part of what's wrong because we've lost any contrast to the world around us. Right.
1: Dr. Ferguson goes in on, he says that, uh, all of this, what we talked about in those four steps, he says, all of that is clear enough. He says, but it does lead us to ask two questions. And I don't want you to answer these questions. Uh, yeah, I know you can, but he's going to go over some more points. Okay. So I'm going to ask you again at the end okay. uh, of these. But the questions are, and, and uh, if you're listening or watching this, you can think about these questions uh, as well. How and why can the work of Christ bring justification for the ungodly? And how can God, being just in all his ways, justify? the ungodly? And I think that's pretty much the question he asked before. But he sets out the answer in three basic stages. Uh, the first two indicate what Christ has done. The third indicates the relationship in which Christ sustains uh, to his people so the accomplishments become theirs. And by the one man, Christ' obedience, the many will be be made righteous, which I believe he's quoting Romans five nineteen there. But the first one says Christ lived a life of total obedience to God, and he quotes Galatians four four. But when the fullness of time had come, I think you were talking about this verse earlier, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in Hebrews seven twenty six says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So Jesus lived a holy, sinless life. Why
0: is this important? Well, if we we understand our brokenness and our sin, If we understand that we are accountable to God who created us, Mm -hmm. and by that I mean we're in his universe, we're in, we're on his planet, um, and we're in rebellion against him, and that all men are in the same boat, then how are we ever going to, how's the problem going to be resolved? Mm -hmm. How, how, how's this going to be fixed? Uh, we cannot go on as we are, though a lot of people would like to see that, and I just, okay, look at the world. Mm Look at the world and tell me how you are going to fix that. We can't fix problems in our own cultures, right. much less in, in other people's cultures. Um, so, so the importance is that we haven't got a a, a, snowball, a snowball's chance in Hades if mm-hmm. there's not someone outside of us to take care of and solve this problem. Right. Number two, he goes on, Christ, despite
1: his personal innocence was treated as a guilty man. Mm. Luke 24, 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. And he goes on, I won't read them all, but in in the book of Luke, chapter 23 alone, there's five proclamations of the innocence of, innocence. of Christ. Of Christ. Yeah. Um, and I will read the last one. It says, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. So Jesus was innocent and declared innocent by, by the people there, but yet he suffered as though he was guilty, right? So that's completely opposite what happens to Christians, right?
0: Uh, we were, he, yeah, exactly. He was innocent and declared guilty, so that we who are guilty could be declared innocent. Right, as a way of saying it, yeah. And again, it shows the flaw of the human judicial system. Mm-hmm. Pilate mm-hmm. wants to let him go. He says yeah. he's innocent, and the crowd says, "No, he's not." That's right. We want him killed. Killing. Uh, and that that shows you what uh, what is so true of humankind. But he was declared righteous uh the way paul says it in romans he was made sin he who knew no sin was made, made sin, sin for, us. for us that we might become the righteousness, righteousness of god. god right and uh, the great exchange is the the reformed the theological term the great exchange i'm getting to that yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's all right
1: see i told you now well, never mind. We'll try. To, I'll try to behave. That's right. You try to behave. <laughs> Don't get ahead of me. He knows us uh, inside out. And, uh, I wouldn't do that. Far. Even though you didn't study it, yeah. uh, you didn't even read, read it. it. Yeah, so it's all right. <laughs> all right. Where am I? I'm lost. <laughs> I need to be saved. Okay. All uh, we see all also that all this was done by the hand of God. Uh, Matthew twenty seventeen through nineteen says. Says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So that's amazing, you know, when you think about it, that it wasn't done at the hand of the Romans or Jews. It was handed over to them by God. Right. Uh, it was all, it's all part of God's plan, all part of God's plan of salvation. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we can't pull this out separate from all the rest. This is a crucial, this is a crucial part. This is the crucial part. And, uh, it was the plan of God. Right. It was the plan of God. Number three, the explanation of this mystery that the sinless one suffered as a guilty one is to be found in the bond which God has established between Christ and his people. Romans five. 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Second Corinthians five twenty one says for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And of course you just right. you just quoted that one. Also in Galatians three thirteen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So, as you were saying, the great exchange, there was an exchange that took place. Right. Can you, what was this exchange that took place?
0: Christ, innocent Christ for guilty man. Mm-hmm. As simple as that, you know, Christ took my place uh, and paid my debt. And again, I want to just, I know this being a dead horse, but again, do people understand that? When they say, I, I'm a Christian, I've put my faith in Christ. Well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That you just started suddenly believing in a super, a supreme being? Or does it mean you've accepted the testimony of scripture about who Christ is and why I needed him to come; those are two different things. And I really believe this, and I, 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 time will bear it out. I just think there are a lot of people who don't understand the, the exchange. So
1: it all works
0: together. Uh,
1: redemption works together. Faith works together. Um, justification works together. Our repentance. It all comes together. So we see our sin. We, we turn from that sin. We have to turn to something. We turn to what Christ right. has done right. for us right. on the cross. Right. We accept what He has done. We understand that, and uh, God declares us righteous
0: because in Christ, in Christ, because of what Christ has done right on the cross. Right. And and and. That work includes us coming to Him and putting our faith in Him, mm-hmm. and that that is the uh, the triumph of the ages that we have been declared righteous in in Him. So,
1: if there's someone out there that's calling themselves a Christian and they don't understand what we're talking about, then they need to really. Examine themselves and go back to scripture, go back to study, scripture. go back and to scripture. look at the things that we've been
0: talking about,
1: right? So,
0: go to the word of God, go, go into the Bible, not what somebody told you, not right. what. And when I say somebody, I do not mean a um, person of spiritual authority. God tells us to submit to those in, in authority, right? But you must know the word. In order to know whether the authority you're submitting to is speaking from the Word, exactly, it, it, you know, so there there has to be some kind of foundational level. Not, you know, my grandmother told me. Well, God bless your grandmother. I'm sure she was a lovely lady, but she is not the final word. It is possible for people. In fact, people do it all the time. They misquote Scripture. And I have to be really careful about it because I that's just seems to be a passion of mine. I hear people say things like where did you get that? Where is that coming from? So well, he also oh go ahead. Well I was gonna say we watched that little video clip about these pastors and churches that were uh that protesting incredible. the and, and and suggesting that it's okay to kill uh the unborn. And the one pastor said, you know, God's pro-choice. He says, I gave you a choice. Yeah, but if you read the rest of the verse, he says, I set before you life and death. Choose life. Right. And that's a person who I'm betting, I will bet you money. That person has never read the scripture they're quoting. Probably not. Because if they had, they would not. Misquote it. Misquote it in such a blatant and vicious way as to suggest that God actually favors the killing of the unborn. I just, and there, so don't get me started. Well, I can't fathom any pastor, any church.
1: If you're in a church that tries to justify abortion, I say run. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. Because there's no way you can justify the taking of an innocent life. No no uh, way. Through Scripture. It's, it's, It's impossible. Uh, Dr. Ferguson goes back to what you, you were talking about. I'll, this, and this is the way I was taught, uh, when I was first a, a Christian. And actually you still hear a lot of preachers, uh, present it this way. And it's probably a good, uh, it's, it's not a bad explanation. Uh, I don't think, but he's, he says sometimes it is said that justified means just if I'd never sinned. And you brought that out before. Does this do justice to the term justification?
0: Uh, Or does it simplify just too much? Well, this is one of those qualifications of the categories. I think it is appropriate for a beginner. Mm. I think it's appropriate for a new Christian. But certainly it does not convey the fullness of justification that I should become aware of as I grow in my Christian experience. (coughs) So I should, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that if we just stop there, if we stop there and we don't pursue it further, okay, then that's, I think then it becomes a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the same way that, you know, we've talked about, and I'm not, I'm not a fan of the sinner's prayer. Pray this prayer. Now you're a Christian. I don't, I do not, I will not do that because I do not know the person's heart. I cannot say they're a Christian because they pray a the prayer. I can say you've made a commitment to Christ. Now we'll see if the commitment shows up. But, but it's one of those things. So I don't go around telling people you got saved by said praying the sinner's prayer or you're not a Christian. I don't yeah. go around saying that to yeah. people, yeah. but I will not, but, but I will not, uh, fail to challenge a person that says, well, I gave my heart to Christ when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you been living for him since then? Because that the prayer was wonderful. It's a simple way for you to understand what's happening. But it is not the fullness of the Christian life. And that's why I think it has been presented. Pray this prayer, you're a Christian, you'll never be lost. I'll see you in heaven, go enjoy your life. right? Which is the way it's presented. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that I would say that is a uh, a superficial that fails to progress, I say the same thing. It's not wrong to say just as if I've never sinned. But if I, if I don't understand that, then I'm not supposed to go on sinning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to grow in grace. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to pursue holiness. Mm-hmm. Th- then I've missed something. So there's, there's more than just
1: justification. Right, right. The, Like you said, all of it come together. It, it, it all comes order. together. And, and you talk to anyone. You, most people on the street, if you ask them they're, if they're a Christian, they're going to say, yeah. Do you believe? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. what do you believe? You know, right. it's 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 one of those terms, like right. you said. We need another word for it because it's it has lost its meaning. Yeah. Um, Christian and what a Christian is actually has lost its meaning, unfortunately. Uh, he goes on and and says. Well, let me pose it as a question. When we are just, when God declares us righteous and we're justified, we don't go, it's not like we go back and become Adam again and we start over. No. no. Um, what happens
0: to us as a, a person? Well, if we're going to use biblical terminology, what happens is your spirit. Is born anew. Okay. So that, and this is, this is tricky language and I want to acknowledge that. But the Bible uses the language of being dead. We right. were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, well, I wasn't dead. I was living. I was pursuing my dreams. I was chasing women. I was getting drunk. I was building a career. I was doing, what do you mean dead? Spiritually dead. And when you become a Christian, you are born spiritually, okay? Uh, You receive new life. You begin to live when in fact you have not lived before because you were dead in your sins. Uh, Again, that's a phrase, that's a metaphor. I do not think that is stressed enough in the church. A dead person can do nothing for themselves. You cannot a dead person cannot make themselves a believer. A dead person cannot bring themselves back to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you cannot become a believer without God doing something in right. your heart. And yeah. that's why the scripture says he made us alive. Uh, with that, that's why it says while we were uh, in our sins, he uh, demonstrated his love. But that's one of the most prolific phrases or images in the scripture that we are dead, and so when you become a Christian, there is a sense in which you you have new life, but it is spiritual life, now, right? Not physical life, exactly. And uh, we were
1: dead in sins; now we're alive in Christ. In Christ. In right. Christ. So, and that term "in Christ" is a very fundamental term, it's... and I think we're going to get into that later in the book. Um, He goes on and reads uh, or quotes Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So now I'm going to go back to those two questions. And you can answer them both at the same time because they're pretty similar. But first one is how and why can the work of Christ bring justification for the ungodly? And the second one is how can God being just in all his ways justify the ungodly?
0: Well, the second question I think would be easier to answer than the first. I would try to come back to the first one. But we must understand that when we talk about God being just, so just as we, in the same manner that we talk about salvation as many faceted in one uh, thing, so is God. Mm-hmm. If he is supreme, if he is the ultimate, then one of the ultimate aspects of his character would be love. And a, a loving God, and this is, this gets tricky, I understand. But a loving God does not, uh, a loving God would not be just in allowing all of His creation to be damned. Okay, now I'm using the not allowing all to be damned because we know not everybody will be saved. The Scripture's clear about that, and the people who insist that they have free will shouldn't have a problem with that. Right. you said you had free will okay if you really have free will and you don't want god to force you Choose then, life yeah uh so so you have that consideration but for God to be just he must demonstrate mercy grace and love and that goes back to what you said earlier about um about Abraham he says will the god of the of will the God uh, of justice you know will he do right in the earth mmm and what is Noah, uh, what is Abraham talking about? He's talking about mercy. Mm-hmm. But what if there's a, what if there's a righteous person among those wicked? Are you going to judge them too? Where's your mercy at is what he's saying. Where's your mercy? Right. So God can, how can a just God, uh, make sinners right with himself flows out of the other attributes that are inseparable from his justice, mm-hmm. which is love and mercy and grace. And goodness. Uh, now reread the first question, and I'll see what I can do. The first one says, "How and why can the work
1: of Christ bring justification for the ungodly?" Well, I don't. I don't know that I would be prepared to say anything about the why. Does that basically go back to like the gospel uh, and what we were talking about before? We we all have sin. We all stand before God guilty. We can't hide. And we have no excuse. And what we didn't talk about is the penalty. There's a penalty. Right. And that uh, wages of sin is death. Right. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's a penalty to be paid. Right. So is that is that what he's talking about? That uh, we're justified
0: because Christ paid the penalty for us or yeah, I mean that's true. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think we're I think what we're dealing with here is that we've we're trying to talk about something that's been talked about before. He goes on and uh I know we're
1: we're going on too, but we're we're coming down then, we're coming down. I can see the light at the end of the time. <laughs> he he talks about of course justification is by faith. And and that's very important to a Christian. Right. Because there's people out there that say you're justified by works. Right. Um, he quotes 1 John 2, 2. Uh, And you will have to read the word again. I think I've already quoted this. He is the propitiation propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, then he asked, then Dr. Ferguson asked, but how does the righteousness of Christ become ours? And the answer is by faith in Christ. Right. Um, and he goes back and he talks about the Pharisees being steeped in, in works. Right. Uh, and that, and so Christ came preaching the gospel to them. And that's what was, that's what the, uh, Pharisees objected to most most of all, wasn't it? That he was preaching a gospel that was not of
0: works. Am I correct in that? Or? Well, that's, that's some of it. Yes, that is some of it. Some of it was they, they rejected his claims to be one with God. They, mm-hmm. they rejected his claims that he was the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they said, well, he's not. He Of course, the Scripture says he was born in Bethlehem, but they said this guy is from Nazareth, that Nazareth that uh, he couldn't be the Messiah. So some of that was their rebellion against his claims Mm -hmm. to be the Messiah. Um, And of course, they they
1: claim to be children of Abraham. Right. right. uh, He quotes Romans 4, 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, uh, as righteousness. And he goes back to Genesis, uh, where you were talking about before Genesis 15, six. So this is important because they were steeped in works. We're saved by grace through our faith. Uh, So we cannot boast. No No. one can boast about what we've done. We can't boast about anything but Christ, a a Christian. But there, there are several religions out there. And we learned this, you know, on Wednesday nights, we went through there. All
0: other religions are religions of works, works. It's about what I do for God, not about what God did for me. And that I, I want to touch on something quickly that, uh, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. But we have to pause over that. It does not say Abraham believed in God, Mm -hmm. uh, which is true. Abraham believed God. And what was it that he believed? What God had said. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about becoming Christians, we mean I am believing and trusting in the promise that God made. That whoever calls upon me mm-hmm. will be saved. Right. See, so it's not, it's not a belief in a divine being. It's a belief in a promise of that divine being. Mm-hmm. But if I think that through, why must I believe the promise that he will save me? What does that tell me? It tells me that I'm lost. Exactly. I need a savior yeah. and not just, I, I I'm just supposed to believe in God. You know, God says believe in him. So I believe in him. No, 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 no. God says, believe in what I've done for you. And when I pause to think about that, then the full canopy comes into view. Mm -hmm. And I see it's more than just religion and religious duty or religious activity, which is very important. Mm -hmm. But those are the outworkings of this greater experience of faith in what God said. So it's not a
1: religion. Righteousness is a right relationship with God. with God. Right. He goes on and says, "Our faith is only an instrument, um, truth." Uh, and he he uh, has a quote by J.C. Ryle, and most of you out there know who J.C. Ryle is. If you don't, you need to uh, you need to learn about right. J.C. He's uh, he's got quite a few good books out there. But he, the quote says, "True faith has nothing whatever of merit about it." and in the highest sense cannot be called a work, but is laying hold of a Savior's hand, leaning on a husband's arm, receiving a physician's medicine. It brings with it nothing to Christ, but a sinful man's soul. It gives nothing, contributes nothing, pays nothing, performs nothing. It only receives, takes, accepts, grasps, and embraces the glorious gift of justification which Christ bestows, and by renewed daily acts enjoys that gift. So it doesn't stop there. By renewed daily acts yeah. we enjoy that gift. Amen. In Romans four sixteen says that is why that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So faith means dependent on not ourselves, but dependent on Christ. And uh, we can't put our faith in faith. A lot of people put their faith in the faith itself, right? But our faith has to be in
0: Christ. They they put their faith in their faith or they put their faith in themselves. Right, or in their works yeah. or what they've and, done. And not in Christ. And again, you, you cannot put your faith in Christ unless you, you cannot, and let's make sure we understand it, we cannot put our faith in the work of Christ on our behalf until we recognize the need for that work. And that's where it breaks down. a lot of people never recognize the need. They think when the Bible talks about faith it means believe he's out there. Mm-hmm. It's not what it means no it's not, not well. what it means. Well as, you know that's a, maybe at the beginning of it yeah. I mean, you've got to well yeah it, if you, if you're, that's if, not it. If you're an atheist who does not believe who claims that you don't believe in any God, then you have to start with a belief um, you have to start with the belief that there is some kind of God. Mm-hmm but most people don't fall in that category. Most people most people believe in some kind of divine being mm-hmm. and they they don't understand that when the bible uses the word faith and believe in god it means believe in a specific god who did a specific thing for a specific reason not just this kind of out there god. Right. A god that is seeking them.
1: Seeking god seeks them. us. Right. Seeking them, because they will not seek him. Um, Dr. Ferguson also says that faith, faith silence, boasting. And we talked uh, about that last week. And the faith implies a guarantee, uh, which is, I'd never really thought about it, but there's a guarantee there. Romans 11, 29 says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So the man that knows he is justified is a man of unbounded confidence and assurance. It is guaranteed and settled forever in heaven. And those are the words of Dr. Ferguson. So settled forever in heaven. What a a great, gracious God we serve. Amen. And what a savior. Oh, what a savior that would. You know, when I, when I think, we go back, we were talking about he died for me. Right. Now, you know, if you're at home, think about that, long and hard, about all the things that I've done in my life and you've done in your life. But Christ died in our place. Right. What It's incredible. It is. It's incredible. Now, Dr. Ferguson, I like, he, he wrote... Um, what do you call it? He, uh, a preface. Dr. Ferguson wrote, Can there be anything more amazing than this? In fact, there is. The God who justifies us as our judge now invites us as a father into his family. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week. So, he wrote our cliffhanger for us, I guess. <laughs> uh, which you would call it. But, uh, Pastor, did you have anything to add? Or That's justification. What a wonderful work. Wonderful word. Wonderful work, Right. What a wonderful life, the Christian life. Well, thank you very much. Bless you. Thank God you. Bless you. Thank you for your time and, of course, your wisdom. Thank you for your prayers. Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards was brought to you by BibleBulldog.com purveyors of antiquarian Bibles, theology books, and other Christian items. Also enjoy hundreds of podcasts and sermons while you visit BibleBulldog.com. Visit BibleBulldog.com today.